0: Legends of battles and heroes made the city of Troy famous throughout the ancient world, but no amount of glory could stop the ravages of time. As the ages rolled on through the final throes of the Western Roman Empire, and then, too, a thousand years later, the Eastern Empire of the Byzantines, Troy passed ever further from history into myth the old city abandoned and buried by the elements, lost to the world, and living on only in the stories that had made it great. But this would change with startling discoveries of the modern day, when Troy was raised from the earth to enter the realm of history once again. And this modern epic of Troy introduced the world to a new and unlikely hero. A German businessman and amateur archaeologist named Heinrich Schliemann, who believed in the real existence of the city and found Troy to return it to the world. Schliemann's life is well known to us thanks to his own autobiography, born in 1822 in Neubuchow, Germany, to a family of modest origins, and whose education from his father And the fables and legends of the past, above all the great epic poems of Homer, filled his boyhood imagination with ancient civilizations and the extraordinary deeds of the Greek heroes. Though a scholar of neither language nor archaeology, Schliemann's father was passionate about ancient history, inspiring his son with warm enthusiasm about the tragic disappearance of Herculaneum and Pompeii, cities once lost to the ages. In his autobiography, Schliemann recounts that for Christmas in 1829, when he was seven years old, his father gave him Georg Ludwig Jäher's Universal History, and he stopped, rapt in amazement, precisely on the page where the Trojan prince Aeneas was shown fleeing the burning city of Troy with his elderly father on his shoulders and his little son held by the hand. Young Heinrich looked at the imposing walls of Troy, and the Scyan Gate struck deeply by them, and the first thought that arose in his child's mind was that such walls, if they ever existed, could not have been completely destroyed, but only buried, hidden away by the debris and dust of the centuries. After his mother's death, his father entrusted him to his uncle so that he could ensure him a strong enough education to achieve enrollment in gymnasium for advanced learning. But Schliemann could only attend for a short time from financial pressures at home. At the age of fourteen he was forced to abandon his studies and work at a grocery store in Fürstenberg. Between herring, milk, and salt for eighteen hours a day, he forgot much that he had studied, and his mind left behind those ancient heroes who had so fascinated him. Harsh reality had supplanted his boyish dreams, until one day in his shop a drunken miller began to loudly recite fascinating verses of poetry, verses well known to him, the music of Homer's Iliad. And at that moment, His spark for the study of the ancient past was rekindled, and the emotions and memories of his first readings of Homer's poems in the original Greek came back to his mind. Schliemann scraped together a few coins he could find by rummaging in his pockets, and offered them to the man to continue reciting Homer's words. A few years later, thanks to the recommendations of a family friend, he found work in Amsterdam, first as an usher and then as a messenger. And there, housed in a miserable, cold attic, he began to learn languages. He developed a method all his own that allowed him to learn Dutch, Portuguese, Italian, English, French, and Russian in just two years. In 1846, now 24, he went to St. Petersburg as an agent for his firm, and just a year later, he had already founded his own trading house. By the year 1868, Heinrich Schliemann had saved up a sizable fortune, and at a turning point in his life, he decided to abandon the business he had built to pursue his youthful dreams. After divorcing his first wife, he married a Greek woman, Sophia Engastromenou with whom he had two children who bore names from the very pages of Homer, Andromache and Agamemnon. He traveled China, Japan, Italy, and Greece, until he finally arrived in the country of Turkey, ancient Anatolia, determined to find there the legendary city of Troy. In Schliemann's era, The epics of the Iliad and Odyssey were considered almost a work of fantasy, little more than myths and legends exalted by the talent of a master poet. But for Schliemann, the feats of the heroes of Achilles, Patroclus, Agamemnon, Menelaus, and Aeneas, their love and their rage, and their bloodshed in battle, these were not mere fantasy, but grounded in real history. Archaeologists of the time suggested that the current village of Bunarbush was the probable site of Old Troy, if a city as grand as Homer described had ever really existed. The identification of Bunarbush rested on the presence of two springs in the area, which corresponded, the scholars believed, with two springs at Troy described in Book 12 of the Iliad, one said to be of warm water the other of cold. But Schliemann was quick to complicate this theory, noting that there were in fact 34 springs around Brunarbusch, and they shared a consistent temperature of 17.5 degrees Celsius. And as he looked out at the plain that stretched from Brunarbusch toward the seashore, a good three hours' walk from the village, he recognized a contradiction with the descriptions of Homer whose Greek heroes could travel quickly between their ships beached on the shore and the city walls of Troy. What's more, before Hector fought Achilles in their fateful duel, he took off running in fear, chased by Achilles three times around Troy's walls. But the slopes around Punarbish were much too steep for anyone to run fully around the site, as the heroes had done. But there was another site at a hill, closer to the coast and more easily traversable, that drew Schliemann's attention, a place called Hisarlik, Turkish for the place where fortresses lie. There were no hot and cold springs there, a detail that was instrumental for scholars in identifying Bunarbush as Troy, but earlier research by another archaeologist of the site named Frank Calvert, who had also begun investigating Hisarlik, had shown that volcanic activity long ago would have changed that feature of the landscape after the age of Homer. Schliemann was convinced that Troy was here. Excavations at Hisarlik began in April 1870, growing to a team of a hundred workers in 1871. He carried on the dig with feverish obsession, overcoming any obstacle, from malaria and a lack of drinking water, to the open hostility of the academic world which mocked his enterprise. As the excavation dug down, his team began to find the walls of a later city built at the site, and demolished them to delve further into the hill. They found more and more furnishings and terracotta attesting to the wealth of the city underneath. The deeper they dove, the older the city they would find. And it was the ancient Troy of the Bronze Age, ruled by King Priam and his mighty sons, that Schliemann was desperate to reveal. More and more layers of the ancient city were discovered. Strata piled atop one another as the old inhabitants had constantly built new structures upon the old, over centuries of the city's life. In one year, Schliemann discovered seven cities layered atop each other, and then found two more. The oldest part at the bottom of the excavation site was prehistoric, but in the second and third layers there were traces of a massive fire and violent deaths of skeletal bodies they found among the remains of huge ramparts and an imposing gate. The Palace of Priam, and the impregnable Scyan Gate, burnt and blackened by the final assault of the Greeks. The ancient tales were true. After excavating 250,000 cubic meters of earth, Schliemann was satisfied with his work and thought he had found everything significant there was to find but on the last day of excavations, before a temporary stop in June 1873, the unimaginable happened. They were twenty-eight feet deep, around the perimeter of what was said to be Priam's palace, and Schliemann and his wife were supervising the dig as usual, when he suddenly noticed something that caught his attention. He quickly dismissed the workers and asked his wife to fetch his shawl. He started digging frantically to bring to light something that was stuck under some boulders that hung menacingly over his head and were getting gradually less and less firm. He finished his frantic digging and returned to his wife, opening his shawl to reveal golden cups, silver vases, and precious diadems. What he would go on to name the treasures of King Priam. But his move to take this treasure with him out of Turkey, without the permission of the Ottoman government, led to his permit to excavate in the country being revoked, on condition of returning part of the treasure. And so Priam's treasure became one of the most exciting archaeological finds of the century. It was only after Schliemann's death that further research proved that the layers of Troy he identified as Homer's were in fact too old to be from the age of the Trojan War, and what he had found was not Priam's treasure, but the heirlooms of a king perhaps a thousand years before. Nevertheless, like much of what resulted from Schliemann's excavations, the romantic stories spun by the excavator himself proved just as enduring as the facts. Riding the wave of his success at Hisarlik. Schliemann then traveled to the heart of Greece, to the other great city of Homeric lore, the palatial capital of Mycenae. Obsessed by the treasure of Priam, he set out in search of a new treasure here. In Mycenae the challenge was different. The location of the city was well known, but the royal tombs of the sons of Atreus, the Homeric kings and brothers Agamemnon, and Menelaus were not. Once again to aid his search, Schliemann relied on the ancients in their own words, guiding his work with an extensive travelogue of the Greek world, the Periegesis, written by Pausanias during the days of the Roman Empire. According to what Pausanias had seen on his journeys, the royal tombs were located inside the city and not outside the walls as was custom in many ancient sites. In August of 1879, Schliemann began excavating at the Citadel of Mycenae, and he soon brought to light a large circular space which he interpreted as the Agora, the place for assemblies, where the tombs of the kings were supposed to be located. Only four months later, the announcement was made of the discovery of five shaft graves hewn into the hillside, containing fifteen skeletons covered with jewels and precious weapons. Interpreted, without hesitation, as the tombs of Agamemnon and his companions, killed, as the myths recount, by the vengeful queen Clytemnestra and her lover Aegisthus, when Agamemnon returned to Mycenae after the Trojan War. One of Schliemann's most famous and widely debated finds stood out on the face of one of these skeletons, an exquisite golden death mask said to represent the face of the famous Homeric king, the mask of Agamemnon. And Schliemann did not stop even with this historic discovery. In 1884, he excavated nearby at Tiryns the mythical birthplace of the hero Heracles, and there unearthed a fortress of prehistoric foundations whose unshakable walls had been famed among the Greeks as the work of mighty Cyclopes. However exceptional and defining it was, Heinrich Schliemann's work was not without mistakes. Only after his death in the year 1890 did archaeologists begin correcting serious errors of dating and interpretation, not only in the identification of Troy's sixth layer from the bottom, and not its second or third as the Homeric city, and the much earlier dating of the so-called treasure of Priam, but in the alleged mask of Agamemnon, crafted in truth some 400 years prior to the time of the Trojan War. Schliemann was a controversial character, and remains controversial to this day. He conducted his research without scientific training and safe methods, in many cases destroying monuments and contexts that would have provided invaluable information on his discoveries. The international scientific community harshly criticized the work of this amateur. And yet, The discovery of treasures that have enriched the collections of the grand museums of the world is owed to his brilliant intuitions. Above all, he deserves credit for having been perhaps the first true popularizer of classical archaeology. His numerous writings addressed to the public opened their eyes to the world of archaeology for the first time, until then confined to the restricted circles of the few and privileged. And perhaps it is here, in the power of his discoveries to bring the past to new life and inspire others to do the same, that the legacy of Heinrich Schliemann truly lies.